we turn to Nehemiah chapter 3. And I love chapter 3 of Nehemiah because it reminds me of something very important. It reminds me that it is the word of God. We might ask ourselves, why? Why is this chapter in Nehemiah? It might seem that chapter 3 is simply a record of those who took part in the rebuilding uh, project and is of nothing more than historical interest. But it's in the word of God. And why did God include this in his word if it were not for the edification and for the instruction of his own people? Not just in the time of Nehemiah, but throughout all the centuries. You see, this chapter is far, far more than simply historical interest and a record of names. There are many spiritual lessons that we can learn uh, from this chapter. Nehemiah describes the work as he moves round from gate to gate, for obviously the gates were the very important entry points to the city, and they were therefore the most vulnerable to attack. So as we read that chapter, we see that he moved from one gate to another gate. The wall was built in between the gates and then moved on to another gate. So let's have a look at what this chapter teaches us. And the first thing that we see is a work of strengthening a work of strengthening. And keep in your mind all the time that while we're speaking about the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem, the spiritual lesson that we have from this is the rebuilding and the strengthening of the walls of the church, of God's Jerusalem in our own day. So we have, especially in Verses 1 to 5, the work of strengthening. Described, first of all, as the sheep gate. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. Now, it shouldn't be difficult to understand why it was called the sheep gate. It was where the shepherds brought their sheep in to sell them. That was the, the one place that they were allowed to enter. And it was here that the high priest and his fellow priests labored. Now, isn't that interesting? It must have been a great encouragement for the people to see their spiritual leaders involved in and leading the work. They didn't direct other people to the work. They got involved in the work themselves. And it's very significant that this high priest, Eliashib, was the first person mentioned. He led in the work, and more than 50 others are mentioned 
who followed him. Here was a man who took the words of Nehemiah to heart and he put them into action and he demonstrated his commitment to the work. Now this is one of the places in this chapter where it says that they consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. They consecrated the work. Now this was building work. When the gate was built, the doors were hung, it was consecrated to the Lord to show that this was work done for the honour and glory of God. And of course, the lesson for us is that all our work, whether it is manual work, whether it is ordinary run-of-the-mill tasks that we have to perform, should be done for the honour and glory of God. There is no task too menial to be consecrated to God. There is no labor that is so humble that it cannot be dedicated and should not be dedicated to the Lord. Not only was the gate rebuilt, but the walls connecting it to the next gate were also rebuilt and strengthened to protect the city. So as we move round the, the walls of Jerusalem, we see the fish gate, so-called because it was near the fish market, and it was built by one family and other families working at making repairs. Verse 4. Next to them, uh, ne- uh, and next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakos, repaired. Next to them, Meshalem, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshabel repaired, and next to them Zadok, the son of Banna, and so on. Now it's interesting that the word for repairs in the Hebrew is the word chasak. It's used 35 times in this chapter alone. And that word has the idea of strengthening, encouraging, of making something strong. So these men were encouraging one another, they were strengthening the walls, they were making something strong. And as we seek to rebuild the walls of our Jerusalem, a great part of that work is making it strong encouraging, strengthening. We strengthen one another in our commitment to Christ. We strengthen one another in our commitment to to the Lord. We encourage one another as we seek to be obedient to him, as we seek to serve him. It's something very needful in the church. Paul points that out in Ephesians chapter 4, and verses 11 to 13. Now there were many involved in the strengthening work, including the men from Tekoa, but here we have a rather sour note, that 
whilst the men from Tekoa worked, the nobles did not. The leaders of the people would not, and the literal translation of, uh, of uh, why they would not work, they would not bend their necks to the work. In other words, they would not submit to the Lord. And sadly, in any work for God, there are always those who profess to be believers, but they'd rather stand and watch. They'd rather let somebody else get on with the work. And don't we see this all the time? Occasionally in a congregation, there's a need perhaps for someone to teach Sabbath school. And the call is put out. And how often is there no response? Oh, I couldn't do it. I'm too busy to do it. Let somebody else do it. I'm too old to do it. Let somebody else do it. I'm not just talking about Sabbath school work, but so much of the work that goes on in the church, the ordinary mundane work, there are always those who just want to stand and to watch from the sidelines. So we have a work of strengthening, and that needs to be done within a congregation of God's people. But then, from verses 6 to 12, we have a work of building. So there was a work of strengthening, now there's a work of building. When we read the list of those who willingly engaged in the work of rebuilding and of strengthening the city walls, there are some very interesting insights. And the first thing we notice is that these men, I say men, but it included women as well, these men were not professional builders. We read that there was goldsmiths and there were perfumers. There were merchants. The important thing was that these men and women were willing to do the work. And the truth of the matter is this, that those who may have limited ability but a passion to see the work of God advance will accomplish far more than a talented and gifted person who has no heart or passion for the work. The most important thing in the work of the gospel is to have a zeal and a passion for the work. We don't all have to be geniuses. We don't have to have specific and particular talents, a heart and a passion for the work of the Lord is the most important thing. Zeal for the Lord and a willing desire to glorify him are the essential requirements. I don't know whether these perfumers, whether these goldsmiths, had ever laid a brick in their lives or not? Probably not. 
They were not used to this hard manual labor. But like the prophet Isaiah, when he heard the call of God, they said, here I am, Lord, use me. I may not be as talented as he is, but I'll do what I can. These men were not professional builders. We also notice here that those with leadership responsibilities in the community did not delegate the work to others, but joined with them in the hard physical labor. We read of a number of men who were the leaders of a particular community. In other words, they were like the the mayor. They were like those officials that had responsibility in civic society. But because they had this elevated position, it didn't mean that they couldn't put their hands to the work. And inactive leadership is no leadership at all. Four times in chapter 3, three men are mentioned who made repairs in front of their own houses. Jedediah, verse 10, Benjamin, verse 23, Zadok, verse 29, and Meshullam in verse 30. Now there's a great lesson here. These people strengthened the walls around their own homes. So they were protecting their own particular homes and families. In any work of spiritual restoration, care must be given to strengthening the home lives of the people. We can rebuild the walls of the church. We can rebuild the community, if you like. But the homes of those who form the community must also be strengthened. Our homes need to be strengthened with prayer, with Bible reading, with family worship. I wonder how many families in our congregation have daily family worship, the singing of praise, the reading of scripture and prayer. As we strengthen our homes, so the corporate body, the congregation, is strengthened. And that's a lesson from these men who made repairs in front of their own houses. Let me ask you a question. Are there repairs that need to be made in your home circumstances? Are there repairs that need to be undertaken in your home? And there's a man mentioned here, Malkaija, the son of Harim. Now, this is not the first time that Malkaija appears in the pages of Scripture. 
He also appears in Ezra chapter 10 and verse 31. And here Malchijah was rebuked for having taken a pagan wife. He married somebody from outside the community of Israel. And the interesting thing here is that his past sin did not prevent him from now serving the Lord. As we look back on our own lives, we see many times when we failed. We see many times when we have sinned. Sometimes we have sinned grievously. But past sin must be repented of and left behind. But it must not be allowed to stand in the way of future service for the Lord. Malchijah had gone against all the teaching that he had received. For the people of Israel were told time and time and time again that they were not to take foreign wives. Malchijah will have known that, but he did it anyway. And he sinned. And then he was rebuked by Ezra, the priest, the, the scribe. And that rebuke would have been done publicly. Malchijah must have been embarrassed. He must have felt that everybody was looking at him and that he would never be any good again. But here in Nehemiah, Malchijah helped with the building. His past sin did not prevent his usefulness in the future. And we also learn here that everybody who was able joined in the work. I love the verse that says, Shalom and his daughters made repair. Shalom and his daughters. Here there is an indication of the willingness of everybody to do whatever they could to help with the work. I have come across in my long time in the church, not just the Reformed Presbyterian Church, but in the service of the Lord. I've come across people in a congregation who do not think that they have anything to contribute to the advancement of the cause of Christ. They feel that they have no gifts, no ability. There's nothing that they can do other than simply to attend and to sit and listen. What Nehemiah teaches us here is that everyone who is able joined in the work. I don't know whether Shalom's daughters made good bricklayers or not. I don't know whether they actually engaged in the physical 
hard labor, but they were involved. They made repairs. The lesson here is not that everybody did the same work, but that everybody, men, women, and I believe children, did what they could. And surely, that's all that we can ask, that people do what they can. Not everybody has the same gifts. Not everybody has the same ability and talent. But the Apostle Paul spoke about the church we read in Romans 12 this morning. And he said, we all have, we're all part of the body and we all have different abilities. Elsewhere, the Apostle Paul said, the hand cannot say to the foot, I'm, you're not part of the body. And one part of the body can't say, I don't need you. For the body to function properly, every part of the body needs to work together. And that's what was taking place here in Jerusalem. They were all working together, each one using what ability they had to strengthen and to build the work. The third thing we have, and that's from verse 13 to verse 32, a work of cooperation. We have a work of strengthening, a work of building, and a work of cooperation. And the rest of the third chapter, from, chapter, from verse 13 onwards, gives a list of all those who worked on or around the remaining gates. The valley gate, the refuge gate, the fountain gate, the water gate, the horse gate, and the assembly gate. And there are some lessons here. The restoration was a complete one. No gaps were to be left, and no part of the structure was to be left unstrengthened or unrepaired. And this speaks to us of the need for the work of spiritual restoration in the church to be a complete one. Sound doctrine is important in the church. It's important if the church is to be strong and vibrant. It is important that there should be sound doctrine taught from the pulpit, taught from Sabbath school, taught in Bible studies, that, that the people who belong to the congregation should be sound in their doctrine. They should know what the Bible teaches. But sound doctrine must be accompanied by loving fellowship. How many places where there is sound doctrine, there is coldness, where people do not feel loved and appreciated and wanted. Sound doctrine must be accompanied with loving fellowship. You see, if there isn't that loving fellowship within the body of the church, there's a gap. There's a gap for the devil to get into. 
He gets in with resentments where people begin to criticize one another because there isn't that loving fellowship. But sound doctrine must be accompanied by loving fellowship, spiritual worship. We come to church to worship God. We come to praise him, to glorify him, to magnify him. There must be spiritual worship. Those that worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth, the word of God says. So where we have sound doctrine, loving fellowship, spiritual worship, and there's one more element, zealous outreach to the lost. We're strengthening the walls We're rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And those walls will be built with sound doctrine, with loving fellowship, with spiritual worship, and with zealous outreach. And where those things are present, there is no place for the devil to get in. The restoration was to be a complete one. And once again, the variety of people involved in the building work is striking. There were officials, Levites, priests, temple servants, goldsmiths, and merchants, all joining together for the common good. And the great lesson in this is a very characteristic New Testament one. That of diversity in unity. We see that in passages such as Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul speaks of the body of Christ and of members in particular. This means that we all have different functions to fulfill and different contributions to make to the whole. I wonder, do you ever ask yourself, what is the contribution that I'm making to the work of this congregation? Is it just to occupy a place on the Sabbath day? What is my congregation? What what is my contribution? It may be an unseen uh, contribution. How much we need people in our congregation who faithfully pray for the congregation. How we need men and women who dedicate themselves to prayer. Or they might not be seen They may be in in their home, in their own room, shut away. But they're making a vital contribution to the work and the ministry in this congregation. There are two more interesting comments made in this section. One man, Baruch, the son of Zabai, is said to have done his work carefully, or zealously. 
verse 20. Although it seems that everybody worked with a will, Baruch stood out for the character of his work. He seems to exemplify the teaching of passages like Colossians 3, 17 and 23, where it says that we are to, we are to work with a will for the glory of God. There is also mention of the men of Tekoa, who were not satisfied with building a section of the wall around the fish gate in verse 5, they also set to building another section of the world of the wall around the water gate in verse 27. And there's a lesson here. Where there is a heart for the work of the Lord, nothing is too much trouble. The men of Tekoa could have sat back and said, we've done our bit. They could point to other people, look, this is the section of the wall that we repaired. We've done our bit. But no, they did their bit, but then they saw that there was something else that needed to be done, and so they went and did that. When there is a heart for the work of the Lord, nothing is too much trouble. The people were working hard to rebuild the walls and both nobles and people were cooperating together in order to improve the safety and security of their community. There appears to have been an almost universal willingness for the residents of Jerusalem to work together in spite of all the social, economic and other differences that they were between them. You had people from high society. You had people who were ordinary workers and they worked together. James Philip, in his 1995 Bible readings on the book of Nehemiah, makes this very useful comment on the way that the people worked together and he related it to the way Christians ought to work together in the church. It's a reasonably long quote, but I think it's worth, uh, worth quoting. He says, Furthermore, everybody was next to someone else. And obviously, they could not all have been congenial companions. But it is certain that Nehemiah did not have time to be scuttling around trying to make sure that abrasive personalities would not be rubbing against one another. One does not have time for that sort of luxury when there is danger in the air and there is work to be done. So the most diverse types had to work alongside each other. Priests alongside the men of Jericho. Rulers alongside commoners. There is this great enriching quality, he says, in the church of God. This is the true meaning of fellowship. The coming together of people, all different to one another, all unequal one to another, and therefore 
because unequal, dependent on one another. So ends James Phillips' quote. Isn't that chapter 3 of Nehemiah, isn't that a wonderful example of how the church should operate? And in microcosm, if you like, how a congregation ought to operate. Everyone using what gifts and abilities they had, but working together for a common goal. And surely the common goal of the congregation should be to advance the kingdom of Christ. That together we might grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Saviour and that the congregation might grow numerically, that people might be attracted to us as a congregation because of the love that we show for one another and the cooperation that we have one with another. It is truly sad when those who are one in their doctrinal understanding allow personal disagreements and differences to disrupt the work of the gospel. The Church of Jesus Christ and individuals, individual congregations of God's people have a great task to perform. Nehemiah came to Jerusalem. He saw the walls broken down. He saw the gates burned. Open access for any enemy that cared to come in. He was grieved when he saw it. There was a great task to perform and there is a great task to perform through the church. It is essential that we learn from Nehemiah and seek to work together for the advancement of the kingdom of God and the salvation of lost sinners. Yes, the walls of the church sometimes are broken down. Sometimes there are openings where the devil can get in. Have we made and do we make that realistic assessment that we talked of this morning to see where the weakness lies that the weaknesses may be strengthened, that the broken down places might be rebuilt and the weak places might be strengthened. So we learn from Nehemiah chapter 3 of how everyone cooperated together for the glory and honour of God.